0: Welcome to the Next Level Business Podcast, for entrepreneurs who are looking to take their business and wealth to the next level. Welcome, welcome back to the podcast, welcome back to the podcast. Shane, we have a special guest today,
1: why don't you introduce him for us? Yes, sir. I'm excited about this one. So, uh, our guest tonight is Adam Blake. Thank you, sir, for being a part of this tonight.
2: Absolutely. Good to be yeah.
1: here. Yeah. So, Adam is uh, a former golfer extraordinaire, chasing the dream of the PGA Tour. And, but he's a business owner. You know, our podcast every week is just about everyday business owners, you know, doing great business, how they get there, the mindset. You know, we go over mistakes, we go over the positives, we, the joys, the, the, you know, the hardships of it. And so we've got Adam on tonight and we're going to, we're going to blend the two worlds of golf and entrepreneurship together. So I'm happy to do that. So Mr. Blake, give us your, your, your backstory, bud, if you don't mind.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Golf's been in my life since uh, high school. I played college golf at uh, Kansas central university and then moved to Dallas, Texas, I was a you know a PGA pro at Northwood Club and Dallas National Golf Club uh, in my early twenties, and was a part of the PGA program, playing, you know, working as a club pro, organizing tournaments for members, um, being in that scene on that side of the business. Um, a lot of people think PGA pro, and they just think, you know, guys playing on tour or guys at their local club. So there's two types of pros, right? You have the PGA pro, who's the guy at the golf course when you go out and play on the weekends or weekdays. And then there's the tour tour pro, and those are the guys out <clears throat> traveling, playing for money. My dream was always always to get to the PGA tour. So uh, my mentor told me, he said, look, you need to start dominating at every level you're at. Once you can dominate in your own backyard, move to the next yard, right? You just keep moving up. So so my yard was North Texas. Um, I was a PGA pro at Dallas National Golf Club. And so the section, we had North, North Texas section and we would all play, uh, all the pros would play North, North Texas section events. And I won a couple times there. And being at Dallas National as a pro gave me the opportunity to practice and hone my game and be around guys like Lee Trevino. Um, he gave me some tips in the bunker that I told you, Shane, (laughs) I said, I got to share this with you, right? Did I tell you this?
1: No, tell me.
2: Uh, Okay. So, so he showed me Lee Trevino. He's such a character. He's got so many stories and he's happy to share them. And that he was telling me about some open that he had won and this is how he won it. this is how he hit this shot. And he said, come in here and get in this bunker with me. And I was just sitting there watching him. So I got in there and let, let's see if I can give a lesson. I don't know if I can, you know, I don't want to mess everybody's game up, but so Shane, you, if you, if you understand um, uh, a weak grip, right? So you open the face. This is, this is terrible. Should I stand up? Maybe <laughs> um, So you want to weaken your grip, which is, if this is your right hand, you're right-handed, you want to put it over the top. So what that does is when you come through and hit the ball, you can't help but have your club face open. So it was like such a simple trick. Don't try this with your driver cause you'll slice it. But if you do this with your, in the sand and you, you get your right hand over the top and your, your left hand underneath more, you'll keep the face open. And it's like the simplest bunker tip that I've ever had. And uh, when we Trevino talks, you listen. So, and it so, works. Oh, it worked. It was my bunker play was incredible um, when I was playing.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I'll just interject though. You know, if we got some young listeners in there, Lee Trevino is one of the most famous golfers of all time. You know, he didn't win as many majors as you know Jack and you know Tiger, but who has right? But Trevino was one of the best. Go ahead, sir. I just thought I would interject that. Exactly. So t- tell us more about the background. What, so you, that, that led you to trying to get on the PGA tour? Sorry. Can you repeat that for me? Well, I was just going to say, keep going. So uh, that led you to uh, trying to make the PGA tour?
2: Yeah. So, So I go from Dallas National to, you know, <clears throat> feeling like I was good enough to go to the next level. And so the next level for me was – trying to get the PGA tour. So you, you got steps, mini tours. And so I raised funds um, from various, you know, I was a racehorse for about half a dozen guys and uh, they put up money for me to go out there for one year. And so I moved to Florida with my, my wife, who knows what she was thinking, but she believed in me. And uh, I quit my job and um, two, what, a month, two months after we, I quit my job and we were on our way out there. Um she was pregnant with our first kid and so it was it was an adventure. I mean we, we it was so much fun. So we moved to West Palm Beach, Florida. And oh,
1: place.
2: Uh, it's it's beautiful, right? So we lived there, um spent the winters there for 2 years, played the Golden Bear tour and just enjoyed being in that scene and waking up every day and clocking in like like it was my job, you know? getting up early, working out because at that time it was like the Tiger Woods phenomenon. So I played from 05 to 2010 and, or yeah, 05, 2010. And it was just a grind, right? If you weren't, the mindset was, if you weren't practicing, somebody else was getting better than you, right? Which is the mindset of most sports, Um, But even more so so during that time with Tiger Woods coming on the scene, it was more like, you know, golfers are actually athletes now. You got to be fit. You know, you you can't walk down the fairway like John Daly and drink a beer. (laughs) So, um, you know, it, it was it was a grind for sure. The mindset was I missed, I think, my first six, six cuts in a row. It seemed like I'd shoot. 72 to 74 every tournament and I just I was like I get to the back nine and I remember my grandpa telling me oh well just don't think about the cut I'm like, that's easy to say (laughs) but when you're coming down the stretch and you're thinking about you know okay you just drop 2500 that week to travel and play and you've got guys depending on you you know it's a lot of pressure you can put on yourself so, so the Golden Bear Tour was kind of where I, I started out, and then bounced around in the summers. I go work my way back west and play state opens, and, and so I did this did this for five years. And um, I had one year where I tore my ACL, which was which was tough because I had just I was playing the best golf of my life. It was in the September October, and I had set a course record in Colorado. Uh, which was a 61. I still have it. (laughs) So I'm, you know, that's, that's one thing I'm excited about because it's where I grew up and um, it was 11 under par and I had just set that course record. And then I went over to the other course uh, in that area, like a couple weeks later and shot 62. So I felt great. I was in the process of raising funds for three years because i reached a point where it was like, you know, is getting difficult to fund it myself based on my earnings. Because if you play well on the mini tours, you're making, you're not going to make over a hundred thousand because you win a tournament. When I played with, if you won, you won 30 to 40
1: grand. That's and pretty made,
2: good. Yeah. So it's good, but you know, you might win once a year and then uh, you, you, it just drops off. Right. So if you make the cut, you're probably losing money with that two thousand dollar check you made, right? So, um, so yeah, it was. Uh, it's just a grind out there, um, but uh, but it was it was an adventure for sure.
1: So you gave it up in 2010, and you started your own business right around that same time. So when I so I
2: was trying to raise funds. And I tore, I was on a hunting trip, tore my ACL, sat out a year. So I had to give all those funds back. I I had, I had enough for to play for three years without any worries, had to give those funds back. because I didn't feel good. I didn't know how I was going to play. Once I came back from the surgery, I came back back and played one year. I just wasn't the same. Um, And that was that year in Canada. So even though it was my best year, as far as, Tournament scoring. I think I averaged 71 something. It still was. It just wasn't good enough. And so, and that was that was tournament rounds. And so I um, made the decision to quit playing. And that w- that was devastating because you're just kind of like, you know, you thought you were born like that was all, all you had. I mean, that's all I did, did every day for, for six years, right? And so you're kind of stuck. Like, what am I gonna do? No, no offense to insurance salesmen, but I was like, am I gonna go sell insurance? Fine. I, love I love insurance. That's like the best. I wish I'd done that early in my life. <laughs> but you know, I just didn't have a clue what I was gonna do. Um, and so I uh you know, I I kind of bounced around for a year, year and a half, trying to figure it out. And I moved to Dallas, Texas, because I felt like I love the culture there and the people there that the confidence of entrepreneurship and uh, so kind of drew me back to Dallas. And um, I started a company called VIP golf network. So VIP golf network was something that was birthed in me when I was a, a golf pro at Dallas national. I'd have guys call the pro shop and say, Hey, Adam, I'm in a LA. I'd like to play LA country club or Riviera. And I'd ask our pro and they'd say, "Ah, sorry, you got to know a member. We can't get them on there. And then, um, so I have to call them back and say, you know, I know you're a member of Dallas National, but does you no good when you go anywhere else? So that was in the back of my mind when I was playing on tour and I'd meet Mr. Jones, who's a member at the Floridian or Mr. Smith at Seminole Club. And, And so I was creating these relationships with people in this network of, guys that belong to high-end private clubs and, and love loved golf and love to travel and so I put together this uh, this network of guys that were like-minded and wanted to travel and, and play the best private clubs and so I started that company and then uh, I was looking for a unique gift to give these guys you know most of these guys have it's hard to find something that for these guys that they would appreciate. So I, I created this leather head cover. There was only one company out there at the time that made a leather head cover, and I looked at it and I thought I could design something that fits a golf club better than this, that I think people would enjoy, and so, but or or that these guys would like. So I made these gifts, showed them to the guys, gave them to the guys, and then everybody, uh, just the feedback I got, the trajectory was like going this way with just a hobby something i thought was a cool gift that i designed in with a you know a design team and so i shelved vip golf network and then jumped into what became and has been my life for 10 years which is called crew golf c r u
1: golf yeah and that what's was what's so interesting man is golf gave you so many great connections i mean you're talking about some wealthy elite guys that that you met through golf, you know, Dallas national, that's one of the yeah. top probably country clubs around and, you know, all those guys and people you raise money from. And so it was just, it's like a a breeding ground for wealthy individuals. You know, all, all those guys love golf yeah, and, golf. Yep. and they always look up to the guys that are the best. I tell my son this all the time. I'm like, that's why you want to play golf, dude. Like it, it's, it's one of the best, uh, things for business owners to do. I, I tell you, I was a lender for 15 years and I love getting out on the golf course with these, with these guys. And you're always getting out with the best guys, you know, the wealthiest individuals and whatnot. Cause you're, that's who you're trying to build as your own clientele. And you know, when you go visit them at their office, they're always on their computer and they've got their cell phone with them and the phone's ringing and the admin's coming in and you know, everybody's got his attention and he's completely distracted. Yeah. And you can't get him from, for more than 10 minutes. Yep. So that, that's a bad place to go have a meeting is at his office. But then you 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 go to the next step and you take him out to lunch, right? And right. even at lunch, you've only got them for about maybe an hour and a half. But they still have their cell phone, right? And they're still picking that up. They're still answering that. You got the waiters interrupting you, whatnot. But on the golf course, that's where you get them captive for mm-hmm. like five hours. Yeah. And that's where you build this bond with them and you start, you know, you you, you get out of the superficial stuff and you start talking about the wife, the kids, the family. And that's when you just have fun with them. And it's just such a cool thing, man. And everybody bonds at golf. But then all the big dogs want to play with the best players. They want to play with the Adam Blakes. They didn't want to play with me. They want to play with guys like you. And that's what I'm telling my son. That's why you want to be a great golfer, because it is such a great end into business. It's just a natural uh, step into that, those shoes.
2: Yeah. And Shane, why, why is that? Like I had this conversation with someone last week about this, like, why, why, why does everyone want to play with great players? You know, even if you're not on the PGA tour, you know, but you can, you can shoot around par they want to be around you. And, and I don't know why you have instant respect from those people that, you know, they might be here and you're here, or they might be here and you're here from from a financial perspective, it, it just brings everybody together. Right. Um, yeah. And I don't know. The only thing I could put my finger on was they, maybe, maybe they appreciate like they know the work that you had to put in to get there. I don't know.
1: <laughs> uh, that That's totally it because they know they can't do it. It is something they can't do. They want to do it. So they admire the people that can do it because they know they can't. <clears throat> and, uh, it, it you know it's it's such a cool thing, but so right now my son is getting into the game, and I hit you up about where do I get him started. He's fourteen, and we actually played our first round together a couple of days back. Okay. And you know, several years ago, he's he's like, I don't want anything to do with golf. And then when we played the round, when it was over, he's like, Man, why didn't we get started years ago? And I was like, Buddy, it's because you told me you didn't want to do this years ago. <laughs> you want to play football and baseball, the cool everything, but right? Yeah, yeah. And so, but, but, you know, what I want to talk about is, uh, you know, the mindset of golfers, golfers have this amazing mindset. And to me, it really correlates with business because business, you're on an island almost as a business owner. And sometimes it's very lonely out there, but as a golfer, it's that same way. You know, every other sport is almost a team sport, you know, outside of maybe tennis, yeah. but you're out there all by yourself. And that course controls you. You you rise and fall with it. You can't get mad at anybody out on the golf course. It's you. Yeah, Yeah. And it can play with your head. And confidence is so fragile out on the golf course. You can have it and it can be fleeting. But you've got to, in your mind, you've got to get rid of the bad shots and you got to lock in on what you're doing next. And business is so similar, man. You go through these seasons where you absolutely have no confidence too and it's like how do you get your confidence back how do you get that mojo back so talk a little bit about the mindset and that daily grind to be successful from the course and how that translates to business
2: yeah i think i did i had no clue what golf at a tournament level was preparing me for and even not a tournament level even even a guy just going out there and who gets to play once a week um you're uncomfortable right so i remember tournament level or tournament golf, or even if you're going out with friends, right? It might make you uncomfortable. If you're playing with your peers or your boss, it makes you uncomfortable. And I think that's good because it it helps you kind of do a self-awareness analysis, right? Of how am I handling this situation? So that you can go back and look, okay, I remember how I handled this last time. Now, this is how I'm going to handle that next time it comes up, right? Um, So perseverance, I I think the one thing that tournament golf taught me was perseverance, right? Um, And understanding. It gave me perspective. Perseverance gave me perspective that nothing lasts forever. And what I mean by that is, I mean, as a professional athlete, you go through slumps. You know, there's highs and there's lows. and My brother, my brother's an amazing instructor in in Arizona. So if you ever go to Arizona, you got to look up uh, Dan Campbell Golf Academy. (laughs) He he uh, he told me something the other day and it was, you know, you keep your expectations high, but you keep your emotions level. Right. And so I think that's key because. I I remember that was my mindset when I played. Right. It was I don't want to get too high. I don't want to get too low. You remember David Duvall? Yep. Okay. He was like the epitome of that, right? You, you didn't know if he was shooting 80 or 65, right? He had the glasses on, he was, <laughs> he was stoic and it doesn't work for everybody. You know, there's guys like John Rom, but they're few and far between the guys that can get so fired up and emotional and, and just really pissed off and, and do well, um, I, I really feel like the majority of us out there, you're trying to keep your emotions level. Like look at Ricky Fowler. He's the same way. You don't know if Ricky's shooting 75 and missing the cut or shooting 65.
1: And you know Ricky, right?
2: Yeah, Ricky's been one of our guys since I think his rookie year. Um, we met him and started making head covers for him. It was just an amazing experience to, you know,
1: get him on the crew team and and what a connection dude that is a fantastic connection it's been awesome but i love that line keep your expectations high keep your emotions level i love that man that is such a good word for a business owner today because i can tell you i I'm, i'm doing fractional cfo work and i've got a few business owners that are a roller coaster Right. And dude, you never know what you're going to get. Some days they're coming in, they're pissed off. And other days they're, they're elated. It's almost like a bipolar type situation and it's Mm -hmm. not healthy. I can tell you straight up because the the employees are, the employees are riding that roller coaster with them. Yeah. And you know, when he's on a high, it's high fives, you know, everybody's loving it. Yeah. Dude, when it's on the opposite end, it's some butt chewing time, man. And you're trying to run as fast as you can in the other direction. I mean, you don't want no part of that.
2: No, you want to create a consistent culture, right? And you can't create consistent culture doing this.
1: Yeah, that's a good word.
2: So I think, you know, the the perseverance, the mindset that I had to have that, that most guys have to have out there is you you block the bad, you know, you 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 hit a bad shot and I've seen a lot of players hit a bad shot, right? They hit a slice and they're like, oh, here I go again. Or They'll hook one, and they'll just instantly, their mind goes like, well, I guess I'm going to hook it today. <clears throat> Unless I hit the same shot four times in a row, like a bad shot, I tell myself it's a fluke. So I used to do a lot of self-talk, um, whether I was out practicing or you know hitting you know, practice shots or out on the course. I, I really feel like the best golfers lie to themselves, right? <laughs> you might be, you might be headed down the wrong path with your swing or something going on, but you don't let your mind go that way. Right. You, That's you, another
1: good word right there.
2: You you tell yourself you're, you're fine.
1: <laughs> do, do you find yourself doing that in business? Cause I, I find myself doing that without even knowing I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh yeah. I mean,
1: those I'm, days I don't feel like I have it. I'm like, man, you got this. You're going to have a great day, man. And I know there's something inside of me that goes, man, it's going to be a terrible day, <laughs> but you don't show it. You know, you don't, you don't no. present that to anybody. And, and yeah, you you're just move forward. Right. I think optimism
2: is the, is the one of the best traits a business owner can have, you know, at really any level. I mean, you have to be, you got to be realistic about where you're at. If the ship is sinking, you have to, Adapt and be flexible and lead, but you got to be optimistic even in the midst of that that transition, right?
1: So, good stuff. Good stuff. All right, tell us about your business, Crew Golf. You've had this for ten years now. <laughs> yeah, ten years. Tell um, us the good and bad. Yeah, so
2: we started off just, hey, we want to be everywhere. We want to make everything for everybody, and uh, we grew exceptionally quick because there was no competition, and we could have gone grown quicker had I realized what was happening. Uh, We went to the PGA show, I believe it was in 2004, 2005. And the PGA show is held in Orlando. You go there to get your product in front of everybody. There's really only one place in the golf business that you go uh, or trade show to, to do that. And that's Orlando in January. And I remember going there And it's before I had, all I had was a few sales reps and one assistant. And we go there and we, I didn't know it at the time, but we knocked it out of the park. We come back with a stack of, of warm leads. And we went through them and said, okay, these are people just wanting to sell us something. And then these are legitimate buyers at the clubs and the courses we want to be at. And at that time, we didn't have the software set up to follow up with everybody. I didn't have the staff to follow up with everyone. And looking back at that, that was, that was my fault, right? Just not knowing the opportunity that was in front of us. I should have hired people. That was the time to scale. Right. So over the next three years, we still was a great year. We were still growing. Um, But I learned a lot about, um, our business then, because we wanted to be everywhere. And in doing so, we heard our turn times. So from a production standpoint, we had a ceiling of our capabilities, right? And the wholesale business is so custom and unique, that you can reach that ceiling very quickly. And often you can reach it with the wrong type of customers. And that's really kind of where we got to in 2017. and. We were, we were just growing the wrong direction. And I read a book. Uh, you ever heard of The Pumpkin Plan?
1: Nope.
2: Okay, The Pumpkin Plan is a uh, – I probably shouldn't be telling people this. <laughs> if any of my customers are listening, just just uh, go away Um So The Pumpkin Plan is all about growing your business the right way. So he takes an analogy of like a farmer, and he's trying to grow this you know, what is your prize pumpkin look like? So what's your business look like? What, you know, and it helps you kind of analyze outside your business, <clears throat> what you need to prune, you know, and there, there's customers that consume all your time and they don't bring you any profit. And so there, and all of us, we have those, and we might love them, we love the relationships, but at the end of the day, it's not a sustainable business. And so, um, Going through that book, some other things, um, some other hardships within the business, losing some of my best people. Um, We had to downsize. And, you know, bigger isn't always better, um, at least in in my experience. And so we kind of slimmed back and started choosing who we wanted to, you know, continue doing business with and the right type of business. And we became a lot more healthier over the next two years. And then
1: COVID hit. <laughs> Damn COVID. Yeah. Josh, COVID, I, I mean, we've all been hurt by COVID. You know, I lost, you know, several, several clients to COVID and you know you're in a business that COVID was heavily affected and Josh was too. And so tell us how you've dealt with that.
2: Yeah. So eighty eight about eighty, eighty five percent of our business revenue like is through tournaments and events. Oh, so we we kind of moved. Going. <laughs> we moved away from you know the twelve piece order, the thirty piece order with twelve different colors and thirty different colors, and being everywhere to you know trying to fulfill custom event orders, and so that was kind of our trajectory we were headed on, and and, and the business was getting healthier, and then just like a let's I got a light here somewhere, but just like a light switch, just Boom. I mean, no, no, no slowdown, no method, just bam. Like all tournament business gone, right? No events are happening. Everybody knows this. So this has happened since March. We're now, you know, four months down the road. And so, um, you know, even, even the, the PPE, like, what am I going to take that and then have people come in and make things that we don't really need to make, you know, because, like, <laughs> like, you know, it's just not – for the golf industry, we we make our money March through November, right? And then it slows down November through March. And so I know I'm heading into a down season already.
1: Um, so – Are they booking – event? are events getting booked again at all? We have
2: one coming up at the end of September, but literally – most of our events are just like either they'll reschedule them. We had one in California, huge event. They were supposed to be in May and they postponed to September. And now they're, they're holding that again. So I look at this and I'm like, for my business, we're going to be like this until April next year. Best case scenario. I I think, you know, we, we'll get some things here and there, but it's not, it's not enough to, continue you know our overhead and and where we were headed and and i mean i could start making masks but (laughs) i just don't have a heart for it i I think enough people are making masks right now and making a lot of money on it they don't need me to get in there so um yeah so that's we've had to pivot and in this in this transition we've been we, over the last year and a half, we've been developing some other products overseas. And initially, we were just going to go, okay, we're going to make our golf bags, our duffel bags, all these new items that I've always wanted to make, but we could never make here in the U.S., um, just cost effective to compete with the market. You know, it just wasn't happening. And so we were developing these products. And, and I was actually overseas in March when they started shutting down or they were scared, everything was well. when the year when UK shut down, I was, I was overseas and trying to get back. I was developing new products. And so just this week, we're, I'm finally back again. Um, and we're, we're going to take, you know, all of our business and outsource it, um, overseas and open a new factory. But with that comes so many exciting opportunities, um, because when you're, when you're, when you have your own factory overseas, you're able to have such a, a footprint on that community in those people's lives that you can't have here in the U S you know, there's some cool things we're doing for the community as far as outreaches. And. Oh, that's cool. And, and so it's exciting to me. And I had somebody say, well, why don't you do that in Texas? Why don't you do that in Colorado? I'm like, I can't build a park in Texas. Like I can't offer like after (laughs) school. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I know that's where I live and I'm from, you know, this other area in Colorado, but I just, you know, and I love where I'm from, but I can't make it, you know, I can barely take care of my own employees here in the U S let alone have an impact on other people in the community. So, so that's exciting to me to be able to finally like, you know, give, and I think we're all kind of at the point where you um, want to uh, give back in in whatever capacity you can, and so for us, we're using our leather scraps because I've got tons of it here in the U.S., and um, hang on, plug this, and um, we're going to turn those into leather sandals, leather moccasins. And really, you know, if, if they don't need it, the women and children, at least we can give it to them and we can create entrepreneurs where they can go to the markets and they can make a profit for themselves and get what they need. So it's exciting. Like,
1: Oh, I mean, that's so cool, man.
2: They do something like this for so long. So
1: that's the that little side benefit to, yeah. you know, the business that you already had, man, that's, that's, that's wonderful. Like Josh's business, you know, He's turning, you know, he sells photo booths. Okay. And he is turning people into entrepreneurs, which, you know, I love. And, yeah. uh, and you know, what we're doing on this podcast, we, you know, we, we just want to give back to business owners. You know, we want to inspire them, encourage them, help them grow their, you know, their business acumen and just show them they're not on an island, man. Give them this resource, you know, where it's just everyday guy. It's not, we're not interviewing Warren Buffett's, right? Right, right. We're not we're not interviewing Elon Musk. We're we're interviewing everyday guys out there doing the hustle, but doing it well, yeah. and bringing that mindset, bringing that uh, that that clarity, that you know, trying to increase the confidence, all that stuff. So all of this has a similar theme, which I love, and it's right. giving back. What can we do to give back? And so I love that.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's it's new territory for us as far as being very intentional
0: about it, but it's exciting for us. So Be
1: intentional. <laughs> JP, you got anything, bro? Uh,
0: which when you say overseas, like which countries are you going to? So South America and Mexico, okay, is where, is
2: where we uh where we're developing stuff.
0: Was it something uh, in particular about those countries versus like going to Asia that you? Uh, would- I think it's
2: the convenience of I like to be, you know, a part of it, and okay. it's a little closer to us to be able to fulfill orders. So I right. think the locations, and then just the quality of the leather. Um, There's a lot of leather tanneries in these areas and, and the craftsmanship. These people have been working with leather for, you know, generation after generation and the things that they can create, I can sketch something and, and they can hand cut it and make it. And I'm just blown away. Like, what, what have I been doing the last 10 years? (laughs)
0: Now, prior to that, uh, and look, I'm all about outsourcing and, you know, leveraging. So don't feel bad about it because, uh, you know, we do make a difference in you know all over the world, whichever country we go to. You know, I have staff in the Philippines, in Pakistan, in India, and we do a lot of our outsourcing. You know, it's just how we're able to, what we have to do. You know, we have to do what we have to do. And, um, you know, we're changing those people's lives because they don't have as much opportunity as we do here. You know, if we want to go and start something, they just don't have access to it. And so I, yeah, I appreciate that and can appreciate, you know, that you're doing that. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I forgot, about I forgot my question now over here. <laughs> you know, we, we've tried to grow in the U S you
2: yeah. know, my father, my, my mom, they're like, well, why can't you make it here? Like you want to make it in the U.S.? I thought. And, I do, but I also want to be a sustainable business. Right, right. Exactly. And for what, you know, the area that we're in, if you look at my competitors, there's a reason why they're making bags in Columbia and they're getting leather from, you know, this area. And, and we've just been behind in, in certain areas and not just behind, but we want to provide our customers with products that they want. and so. Right.
0: I just yeah, I was, um actually uh, I remembered it now, so prior to this, you were making it here in the u s yeah and, and then you decided to go overseas yeah,
2: yeah. And, we, and i've I've done all kinds of things here in the u s right I outsourced everything and then I outsourced portions of it, and then we controlled it all and and we just couldn't get the numbers right, and right. you know, I think this is the best the best position for us to be able to you know, grow and provide our customers with the products they want. And then the benefit is just making a difference somewhere else. So,
0: right. Like, like,
2: you know, you're changing people's lives. Like, you know, the, the people I'm spending time with here, they're, they're ecstatic that, that we're giving them work and that they make more than anybody on their street or in their neighborhood. Right. Right. It's a cool feeling.
0: Yeah, it really is. And, uh, Um, questions keep slipping away. I need to read. That's
1: where you are right now that you're, you're out of the country, but you're, you're down there at your, at your factory. Yeah. Yeah. I've been
2: down here for two weeks. I'll be down here for, for one more week. And you know, you talk about being uncomfortable. It's been a while. I think since I've been this uncomfortable, I mean, I was here last, the first week I was here, I was like, you know, this over the weekend. I was like, am I nuts? Like what, what am I trying to accomplish here? Um, even though I've been coming here for a year and a half or or longer, I think the first time I was here was five years ago, but it's, uh, it's definitely a challenge. I mean, there's so many, like yesterday we ran, ran out of running water and it was because our well had a leak in it. We had just filled it up. And so it's just, it's just interesting. They deal with so many other challenges, but, um, and it's not all just fixed with money. Like you don't just, you start throwing money in, in countries where, they don't have money, then, well, you better be ready to just keep throwing that money because they'll think it's just a faucet,
0: right? So
2: we don't do that.
0: <laughs> so you you go down to Mexico. You you interview several company uh, factories, and then um, and then you you select one. Is yeah. That what's so your process?
2: In the past. I came down here and I visit leather tanneries because oh. this is one of the meccas of leather tanneries. Um, there's a ton of leather tanneries here. They've got just the skilled workers here. So I was always attracted to this area. Um, but we never fully made the jump. We would store some leather from Mexico, but then I started looking at different factories and what they could provide us. And, and you know, looking at, them actually doing it for us. Um, and honestly, most of the factories down here, their pricing is 10% less than what it is in the U S to make it. Hmm. And so once I factored customs and not having control of anything, and it, it was actually like the same price. And so, so that's when we started looking at doing our own thing. And so that's why I'm here now is starting our own factory. And, um, moving it forward so that to me is more exciting than just meet with the factory down here and okay here you go so it's it's much more hands-on but it's it's exciting it keeps the entrepreneur in me uh, kind of alive you know
0: yeah i do I, I, we go to visit our factories now we can't but right. yeah, yeah we we're overdue like just meeting with the factory owners and uh just getting to see the products made you know from there's something about like just drawing something on a paper and then like next thing, you know, they build it, you know, and it's like, Incredible, something-
2: isn't it? I mean, it's just, you know, it's fun to create for the
1: creator, right? Well, Mr. Blake, I appreciate the, uh, the time you've given us. Do You have any parting shots you want to just throw out there to any investor or anybody listening?
2: No, um, uh- I, uh, I appreciate you guys having me on and hopefully
1: we've imparted something to somebody. I like it. JP, you got anything?
0: Uh, that's it. Yeah. Thank you uh, for taking the time and, um, you know, we'll uh, keep following you and see like, you know, see a journey how, where it goes. And uh, Shane's always like, you know, golf, golf, golf. Like I don't know <laughs> anything about golf, but I can see like, you know, especially when you said like, uh, uh, you know, the ups and downs. Cause it's like, I can imagine myself like taking a, like a bad swing, Uh, You know, at a ball, and then that's like having a bad month in business, you know. The rest (laughs) of the months are going to be great, you know, but you can't start speaking to yourself negatively just because you had one bad month. Yeah. Yeah, we appreciate your time for coming on. uh, And um, thanks everybody for tuning in. We will see you guys next week.
1: Hey, real quick, shout out to Crew Golf, C R U Golf.com. That's the right website, right? Yes, sir. All right. Thanks again, Adam.
2: All right. Appreciate
1: it. See you, everybody.